When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome everybody to the No Bad Dogs podcast, the podcast where we love, live, and work with dogs. Today's episode, I'm going to answer the number one question that I get or that we get as a business, and we're also going to do a Q&A at the end of this episode, so stick around for the end um, because I'm going to do a question and answer survey kind of type thing that we posted on our Instagram. And we took a little week off um, to regroup and... Uh, kind of figure some things out with logistics on the podcast and things are going really great for that. So thank you guys so much for listening. Today, I'm going to talk to you guys about the number one question we get, which is drumroll, please. It's going to be how to start a dog business. Um, And I think that pertains to not only dog walking, but dog training, and I think just dog business in general. And I don't want to rephrase episode one, where I basically told my story, I want to speak about the logistics and the reality of starting a dog-related business in general. Not just my story, but my experiences with business in general, with the eight years of experience um, and all of the other businesses that I've worked with and all of the other... And I think that that's the most important thing to this episode is not only my business, but all of the other businesses that I've seen and helped and envied and felt bad for and felt sad for. Um, And I think that that's what the real value is going to come from is watching all of the other businesses that I've been, you know, helping or have participated in and et cetera. So, um, and then of course, just traveling over the years, just, you know, stopping into businesses and see how they're running and the good, the bad and the ugly, if you will. So this is that podcast to answer that question that we get all of the time. And we get a lot of questions. I get a lot of um, direct messages and emails, and uh, our manager gets a lot of questions. And this is the number one question we get. And there's a vast array of different, uh, I guess, aspects you can look at it. But it's I'm going to try to cover as much as I possibly can about starting your own dog-related business. And I think this is going to be good for people out there that are wanting to work with dogs. I think it's also going to be good for people who are already in the industry or have been in the industry for a while that, you know, they might be able to pull some tips and tricks of what not to do and maybe what to add. So the first thing that I want to talk about is I think that the way that I answer the email at this point, I get kind of frustrated with it because it's kind of like calling somebody and go, Hey, how do I start my life? How do I change my life differently? And what that means is if somebody's literally looking for advice to start a new life, I want to I want to change my life to work with dogs. I want to start a new business to work with dogs and it's to to ask an email of somebody that you don't know personally 
that's a very, I think it's a very, um, it's a very um, hard question. Well, first of all, it's a very hard question for me to answer. Second of all, it's 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 a very, um, I don't want to say, it is a hard question, but it's ballsy is what it is. And it's very hard for me to answer, and it's very hard for me to understand where that person's coming from because they basically want in an email thread how to live the next 10 years of their life because I have, I have, I have literally been in the trenches for a very long time with my business and I continue and I don't I don't step away too much from anything in my business. Um I'm I'm always involved with a lot of the things that we do and I think a lot of business first and foremost a lot of people want to start a business for two things. They want to start for money and they want to start because they want to work with dogs and they want to live their quote unquote dream and um I've seen a lot of dreams um, come up over, you know, watching a Instagram story or watching an Instagram post or just watching an Instagram following or something like that. And to be completely honest, it's, it's a bit, um, it's a bit frustrating for me to see people out there that are automatically just saying, you know what, I'm going to crash my nine to five job. I'm not going to do it anymore. I am a dog trainer now, or I am starting a new dog business because it's a bit offensive for people like myself who have been developing a certain skill set to to help a certain niche of people or dogs, if you will. And for people to come out and just say, this is what I'm going to do now is a bit disrespectful. And I definitely get very frustrated with it because not that I'm not that I discourage anybody from starting their own business at all, because I think that that's kind of like, that's what really keeps me alive uh, mentally is knowing that I have my own thing that I can constantly work and get better at and learn from and make mistakes and, and fold over and over again. But I think people just coming out of the gate and saying they change their Instagram to I'm a dog trainer or world renowned or things like that. I, it, it's very frustrating for people to take them seriously because they just started and nobody knows who they are. And it's not about, it's not about people knowing who you are per se, it's really about how much work you've done that people are, you're exposed to. Like if you're really good at what you do, people are going to know about you one way, shape or form. It may take one year. It may take 10 years for everybody to know you. Um, but I think one way or the other, uh, it's very frustrating to see businesses just start. So don't do that. That's, that's, I think step one, don't come out of the gate and say, I am this because not a lot of, and, and forget me. Don't worry about me. Don't think how, how I'm looking at you. This is for people who are trying to become a, a dog trainer or trying to start their own dog business. Don't worry about, this is, this is my perspective, but at the same time, I'm just, I'm just putting my experiences out there. This isn't, this is some of my personal belief, but it's more about my, my observe, I guess my observatory type pitch on it. This is what I've been seeing. So that's like the first thing you don't want to do. And I'll kind of put it into a a business of, I don't know, making salads or a business like a, a, a just say a restaurant in general. Um, you don't want to all of a sudden just say, you know what, I want a restaurant and then go find a area that's that's for lease. And then you pop on a sign, you say, we're open, I'm a dog trainer. Or I'm open, we are a restaurant. Because there's no, there's no body who knows who you are, what you've been doing. There's no buildup. There's nothing. It's just your personal belief of this is what I'm going to do now. 
And what's going to happen is, is this is the most important thing to this conversation, is people are going to come before you're even ready. You don't have the right ingredients. You don't have the right equipment. You don't have the right staff. You don't have insurance. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have a menu. You, don't, you just started because this is what I want to do. And it's not that simple. So that's like the step one is don't just start. I mean, I want you to start progressionally, like overnight, but I don't want anybody and I don't, I really don't encourage anybody to really open or call themselves a business until they're ready. I didn't start training until I didn't, I didn't start professionally opening up my training sector of my business until I had a waiting list. Once I had a waiting list of like two weeks for like a half a year, then I started actually saying, okay, I'm going to start a dog training sector in my business. And this was, this is many, many years ago, but um, it really helped me develop my, my craft because I, it was on my terms. I slowly, progressionally learned how to become who I wanted to be. And I kind of, I'm still trying to master my craft and I'm still trying to make mistakes and learning from them. And so I think that that's step one is never come out of the gate and just say you're, you're this because it's what you feel because you have to understand that you're going to be responsible for, if you're going to be really successful, thousands and thousands and thousands of dogs lives and their brains and everything that you do or anything that you could do could impact that dog forever, which I think gives you a lot of power. So that's the first thing I wouldn't do. I would go out and shadow as many people as you can. And before I go into shadowing and experience and things like that, I want to jump to the next thing. I think the next biggest thing is before you just jump into things and start calling yourself a business. Um, I, I would urge people, and this is what I tell people, I would urge people to find their certain, um, I guess, niche of like their craftsmanship of what are they going to be good at? When you go into a field, like, again, I'm going to kind of revert back to cooking because I think cooking is something that everyone kind of understands and a restaurant is something everybody has been to. So think about cooking. So say all of a sudden you wanted to be a cook and you open that restaurant. Well, what kind of cook are you? What are you going to provide? Are you going to be a fast food are you going to be um, American? Are you going to be French? Are you going to be Southern? Are you going to be what, Greek? What do you? What are your influences going to be? And what that means is, is people are going to come into your establishment or give business to your business, expecting a certain style or a certain taste, if you will. And that's something that, like, I really honed in on many many times and I still am continuing to re-edit if you will and remaster that because if I don't grow then I'm stagnant and a stagnant mind for me is is very very not good um we'll get into that a little bit later but um anyway so I want you to think of I want you to think of a, a business like a restaurant opening. What kind of style are you going to be? So that means for me, if I wanted to start a business, I'm definitely not going to open something that I'm not comfortable with or I don't like or I don't necessarily agree with. And so if I was a vegan, which I'm not, but if I was, I would, I'm not going to open a butcher shop, right? It, it wouldn't make any sense because it's not what I like to do. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's not what I'm going to be successful with. And, and I frankly just wouldn't show up to work liking it or knowing what to do. So that's the, that's the second most important thing I would suggest to, to young people out there or even older people out there that want to start in the dog training world 
is figure out what style you're going to be. And unfortunately, in the dog training world, and Tyler Muto and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, it's so vague about, you know, what people are calling things and, and certain sides, if you will. And it's all, it's all bullshit, excuse me, language, but it really is. It's, I mean, it's real, but I don't think it's realistically fair to put a certain style on people if they're actually trying to be versatile, which means, oh, if you correct a dog, you're this, or if you don't use corrections, you're that, or, and, and excuse the word correction, but it's just what the masses of people will understand out there like you guys. And, um, so I want to, I want to really just put that out there. Keep that in the consideration of when you're starting to work with dogs, you need to pick a lane and know and here's the important part to this sector too is know what you're naturally going to be good at and i struggle because i have so many um different people throughout the months like we got an email last night i think from a girl that lives in germany or hungary or something like that i can't remember exactly where she lived but um and you know she wanted to come over and kind of feel things out and i mean she's traveling huge. I mean, that's such a big trip. Um, and then we have people from local and, um, different, different cities around the country and things like that, that come over and, and, or, and, or inquire about shadowing, I should say. And I really don't know what to tell them because I'm somebody who just said, this is exactly what I want to do because I feel like this is why I was put on this earth. Not that I wanted to do it and not that I felt like it would be fun to do, I'm working with dogs specifically because I feel like God created me to work with dogs. What I do is so insanely innate to me to work with dogs. And and I was doing things at a very early age that not many people could do right now, even if they've been training for 10 years. And I'm not saying that to be pretentious or to, to toot my horn at all. I'm saying that to be realistic and fair to the people who are asking me, how did you get to where you're at? And I think a lot of people who are in India industry, there's a huge combination of, I think, two important things, hard work and skill. And sometimes skill is something you're born with and hard work is something that you have to work for. And naturally, I think hard work develops skill. And so at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is hard work. And I feel bad for people who just don't have a knack for working with animals and it's something they want to do because unfortunately with animals it's very hard to especially when you're working with behavior modifications and things like that and I don't mean to go into too much of a rabbit hole here but when you're working with behavior modification stuff there are certain things that if you are naturally gifted or if you are naturally able to communicate with dogs and read them and understand them and put certain pressures on at the right time that's a natural thing that you can never be taught and that's a natural thing that you can never really explain to people of how'd you just do that? And it's not about teaching a dog how to walk on a leash. It's about maybe touching a dog at the right time or moving at the right time or saying something at the right time or things like that. Or, you know, there's certain things that just click for me that could never be taught and or could never be um, kind of bottled up and sold as much as I would like to help people you know, because if, if I can help people, they can go out and distribute all of their power for, you know, tens of thousands of dogs, etc. So um, anyway, out of that rabbit hole real quick and going back to the original thing I said about kind of rule number two or section two of starting a dog training business is know your lane, pick your lane and stay true to your lane. 
And that's something that I've been honing in in the last couple of years um, because, like I said before in a couple of my other podcast uh, episodes, I don't work with certain dogs, meaning if it's a puppy with no issues, I'm sleeping, I'm bored. Um, and it's, it has nothing to do with skills and it has nothing to do with um, – how good you are at all. I don't want people to think that because a lot of people, that's what they, that's what they assume. And that's what I've starting to realize is there's a pattern of people going, I don't want to work with puppies. I want to jump right into what you do. And I'm like, yeah, but what I do, I can't teach. Unfortunately, I, I don't know how to teach people to do. I can teach people how to say the things I say. I can teach people how to move the way I do use the equipment the way that I do. But unfortunately I can't teach people my aura or my energy, if you will, and, and, and also kind of jumping a, c- a couple uh, steps ahead, uh, people can't take it from me, you know, whether I want them to or not. And I think that that has an advantage and a disadvantage, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but I think it's important for people to understand rule number two is definitely staying in your lane and being committed to that. And so if anybody's confused about that, what it means is, is, if you feel like you're good with some nasty dogs who want to bite you and you feel comfortable getting in the ring with them and helping them, then do that. And don't focus so much about puppies and training and things like that because when I started work and still to this day, I work with some really great dog trainers that I never thought I would be in the same room with and I still I don't know what it is that I'm doing. And not in the sense of like I don't know how to work a dog. It's just I don't know how to – I don't know how to tell people what I'm doing uh, in a sense of I can teach people. I think that I'm a, I'm a pretty good teacher because I, I try to make things extremely transferable and, and relatable to them in their lives and whatever they do for work because it makes sense. But also there are people going, how did, how did you do that? That, that move right there. How did you know how to put your, you know, this. And if you look back at some of my YouTube stuff, there are some things that I just do that I don't even realize that I do because it's my natural instincts and you cannot teach instincts. You can't. It's something that, again, I, I wish that I could. I wish that I could. It's, it's the same thing as like a really great basketball player or a really great, a really great um, mathematician or a really great um, singer or artist, a painter. Like you can't like a certain think about a, an artist as like a painter. Like you can't you can't like some of the styles that are out there are innate and natural to people. Like there's certain artists out there that are just brilliantly good at what they do within their style and their wheelhouse. And if you were to say, I want to, I want to paint that type of style. How do I do that? And the person goes, well, I I don't know how I did it. It's just something that I naturally am able to do. And it's what comes to my hand or it's what comes to my mind. And so that's kind of step two in a nutshell is pick your lane so I would say for people going, well, what the hell? How many lanes are there? I, I can't answer that question. I do not know. However, I will say that there are certain avenues, and a couple um, ones right off the top of my head are obedience, which means sit, stay, wait, um, things like that. Um, competitive obedience, which is those things, but a little bit more competitive. So they're a little bit more serious. They're a little bit more critiqued, a little bit more tedious. There is uh, things like behavior remodification, which is um, considerably like what I do, which means if there's a problem, fix it 
and then throughout the process teach the owner how to fix it I think is important. If you're going to do a behavior modification and you can't tell the owner how you got there, then it's not going to be, it's not really going to benefit anybody unless you're going to keep that dog yourself. So knowing behavior modification, but if you do choose behavior modification, make sure you're good at public speaking. Make sure you're really good about being confident in what you do because behavior modification needs that in order for to work with some of the dogs that you're going to be come across. Um, and then, you know, there's therapy work. There's basic obedience. There's um, there's all sorts of different sports out there um, that I could list off forever. I think a big one is puppies, just dealing with adolescent foundational imprinting um, for, for any sport or any um any you know maybe a home a pet home um there is leash i think leash i think leash walking should be a completely own sector of its of its own um there's so many different ways you can do that but what i would do is pick what you like pick what you're going to be good at naturally and go with that and then the next step i think step three and i'm going to stop with the step threes and stuff because once i get down to like 10 and 11 i'm going to forget all of my references so but the next step is once you've kind of figured out exactly what kind of style you want and what you're naturally going to be good at and let me i'm going to go back to this step again um and that also means is like i know people out there that get certain dogs that are too much for them, but it's what they want to do. And then at the end of the day, they realize this dog's too much for me and they rehome it. And you can't go against nature. And I think that that plays a really big role too. So that's kind of, this can be the last thing about that. Um, uh, option two, I guess, or section two is don't do something that you know you can't handle, but it's what you want to do. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be wasting your time and you're going to be potentially ruining dogs' lives, which means, like, again, I don't do a lot of puppy and foundational stuff because I get very frustrated, and I try to speed up the process because I'm so used to doing behavior modification and really um, tactical planning, and really, like, that's what gets me excited. So I don't do a lot of puppy stuff unless it's somebody who really wants me to um, because I think that I'm not as beneficial there. It's, it's Again, it's taking a really nice chef or a really specific French kind of influence chef and then putting them into a, you know, whatever type of kitchen. They're going to be completely out of the realm, even though they're really, really great. It's the same thing with like puppy trainers or um, marker trainers, clicker trainers, things like that. Like they're really, really great at what they do. And I would never be able to do this, some of the stuff that they do and then vice versa. But if they stay in their lane, they'll, they'll, they'll always be good and, and things like that. But um, so I think, and I, and again, this is for the, the, the masses, if you will. And by masses, I mean the two to 7,000 people who are listening to this at any given time that it's, it's not about, you know, how many, how many stages you can take or how many mics you can grab. It's really about like honing in on what you like and what you're good at. So that doesn't mean that, you know, there are people out there that can do everything. There are people out there that can do uh, basic obedience with puppies, but also do behavior modification, things like that. So don't get me wrong. This is for people who are just starting off. These are, this is for people who are just trying to get their foot in the door is focus on what you're naturally going to be good at, which means leads me into step three, um, which I said, I'm not going to label anymore, but we're going to move forward with finding some somebody that you can then shadow or and 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 it doesn't always have to be in a physical manner which means if your favorite trainer that does healing work <clears throat> excuse me is um in 
Oregon or in L.A. or something like that. That doesn't mean you have to be there. I mean, um, there's a couple of different companies out there that have some really great content that you can find right online that you can go through. Like um, one of my good friends, Force Mickey, is um, a really, really fantastic uh, trainer. Um, but more importantly, he's really entertaining and he's extremely educational about what he does. He kind of is out of the dog training world um, for the most part uh, to the public. But um, anyway, he, he did like a, he, I, I think he still does. He does like a really great um, like healing workshop online uh, through Learberg, I believe. But, um, you know, these are some classes that you can take from somebody who's an, an expert at healing and focused healing and, um, you know, things like that and competitive obedience. Um, and you can take online and learn a lot. And there's also just plain old YouTube. I mean, my YouTube channel has, has so many different versatile, uh, show or episodes on there that you can go up and reference to. And there's a ton of other great dog trainers out there that are really, really great at what they do that you can go out and reference to too. So don't be afraid to look at YouTube, but just like I say with anything, just make sure whatever you're learning and whatever you're watching makes sense to you. I've seen a lot of people go brain dead because they've paid a lot of money for the person that they thought was the best or they thought was the greatest in what they did. And they were kind of going against their own will on, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it because I paid a lot of money and I think that this person's the best, even though it doesn't make sense. So make sure that it makes sense to you. That's step one. So being very comfortable with that person. So that's kind of what I would say following, following, uh, picking your path is then go to somebody who's doing it. Um, I, I try to do a lot of, try to watch a lot of motivational um, videos and documentaries and read certain things. And that's like one of the biggest things that a lot of people, very successful people, not just people in the dog industry, like Warren Buffett and uh, Steve Jobs and people like this, that they say to go out and, and literally try to find somebody that's already doing what you're doing. And without copying or, or ripping them off, try to take bits and pieces of, of, you know, that person and try to ask them questions about how they got to that spot. And that's like really important. And then I think, um, you know, after that, I, I, I would suggest like if you're going to be a dog trainer, um, quote unquote trainer or work with dogs professionally, I think a great place to start is like where I started, for example, is like walking dogs, walking dogs. And then, you know, trying to work in a daycare, helping out with rescues, um, just getting hands on stuff. Because when you're working with animals, experience, I think, is the number one, like number one thing when when you're trying to build your craft or you're trying to um, get better at what you do is experience because the more hands-on experience you have with animals, that's where your points are really going to add up. Um, I also do a certification program through the Animal Behavioral College. So not only do I work with all of my clients here one-on-one with their dogs, but I also certify dog trainers through one of the biggest schools in the country, which is pretty cool. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. However, I will say that they, they're, they're a great school, but they, they put a lot of um, lecture, uh, I'm sorry, not lecture, literature out there. So books and tests and things like that, which is fantastic. Um, however, you know, I then end up kind of pinching everything together at the end and really making sense of things. And so just from my experience of, of like a college that I already work with, um, 
I can tell you that the most important thing at the end of the day is what they really want you to do for colleges um, is to go out and, and actually work with work with dogs, touch them, work with them, handle them, get a feel for them. Because I've met a lot of people who are very um, like for an example we've had a lot of people come in from different areas that have worked with uh, dog behavioralist, um, which are basically dogs psychologist um, where you sit down with your dog and they explain, you know, on a nice leather couch and they explain to them, your dog is doing this, that, and the other thing. And they're great. Um, but they don't have the hands on experience to handle certain issues that may have the majority of the problems start with that, meaning um, if the dog is pulling constantly on the leash and has no connection with the owner, and then the dog becomes really dominant or aggressive, um, chances are it's not like a, a behavioral issue where you have to go get a bunch of medication for your dog. It's you have to learn how to walk your dog. So that's a really different, um, you know, that's a whole different ball game. But um, anyway, I've had a lot of dogs come from different, uh, uh, really great universities like Cornell University and some other ones um, that are local. But Cornell is one of the you know number one uh, vet schools and uh, science and behavior and um, things like that for for med school for uh, vet school for uh, veterinarian um, graduates and schooling and things like that and you know I've been able to work those dogs significantly faster than the behavioralist or somebody who has a lot of knowledge about uh, canine psychology because a lot of what they need is just hands-on experience stuff the dog needs to be the dog needs to be altered or um, taught certain things, and you can't talk about it. You just have to do it. So that's the number one thing that I would suggest when uh, working – Or I'm sorry. Uh, that's it's the number one thing I would suggest when you're trying to um, figure out what the next step is, is after you, f- after you find your, your, your niche, if you will, or your subject of how, what you're going to be good at, and then you find the person. You have to then either work with that person with hands-on, or you have to find dogs that you can, that you can work with. Um, and I think that that's, that's really, really important. Make sure that when you are trying to find your way and working with different trainers that you like, hands-on experiences are going to be very, very beneficial. Way more, like I would I always do the quote um, Gary Vaynerchuk put out in um, in one of his I don't know what the heck it was, but he put out that the the boy who spends time cooking with grandma is always going to outcook the culinary student, which means and I kind of post that a couple times a year because it it hit me like whoa, especially in the in the dog training world um, because I've had people come in with huge degrees in dog psychology and. Um, different levels of, uh, of certifications in dog training and shadow me and learn a lot, um, which is fantastic. But it also tells me that um, learning with hands-on experiences is not more important, but it's just as important as, you know, reading and educating yourself on information and behaviors and do's and don'ts. And uh, I think literature that, you know, it has been written over over the years by you know many different great um, people and and I think that that's important but it's also important to have hands on or just as important um, so anyway just making sure that you do your hands on stuff um, because you're gonna find that you can read and let me put it to you this way if you read um, ten books on dog aggression and you're really influenced by the literature that you're getting and you know all the signs of dog aggression you know the type of barks you know the body language you know the breathing you know you know all that stuff 
But when it comes down to, you know, shit or get off the pot and you can't perform, that's an issue. That's a really big issue, especially when you're when you're trying to help a dog. And I found with experience that the the moment that you have an opportunity to be assertive and you don't you don't execute, especially with certain dogs, they will take advantage of that fully, and they know. So, um, and the other thing too, just to add to that really quick uh, on that subject is, I help and work with a lot of veterinarians because they are all science and medicine. Like I don't try to be a vet when people come in with like a. People come in with like a stomach ache uh, with their dog or their dog has a chipped tooth or their dog's lethargic. I'd never try to say, oh, well, um, have you tried this or you tried that? Not at all. I, I never try to overstep my boundaries and I constantly try to stay in my lane. So I think that that's important that um, you understand that there's a huge difference between um, hands-on experience and, and literature, but I think they're both equally important. So that's the next step, I think, is getting right into hands-on experiences. So working at shelters, doggy daycares, dog walking, etc. cetera, um, because getting your hands on, like I learned a lot through starting my dog walking business. And then I kind of took over a, a doggy daycare where I was in the room with, you know, 60 to, you know, 40 to 60 dogs a day. Um, and every day was a different pack for the most part. So that did teach me a lot. And again, um, this is something that I'm just, I'm, I'm telling people that if you want to, I think a lot of people just want to expedite the service. They say, Tom, how do I get like you? How do I have my facility and be like you and do that? Um, well, you're going to have to do a lot of work. It's again, it's like going to a chef that's worked his ass off for the last 10 years of his life that, Again, you know, like I slept on couches for many years. I slept out of tents. I've I've done all of that to to sacrifice my 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 life to make sure that I was uh, great at what I did and I knew all the information I needed to do to help me master my craft that I was born with. Um, and if you're not willing to put in that type of work, then you're not going to see great success because that's what it takes to be successful. In on any level is commitment and dedication and a lot of sacrifice. So um, making sure that when you go out that you understand that it is going to be a long journey to get really good at what you do. And sometimes it'll take people a year um, and then other times it'll take people eight years. Um, but that's important to understand. So um, moving forward, um, after all of that's been said and done, um, again, just, just going to work with, with some sort of local agency to, to get hands-on experience with dogs um, and then I think, I think one of the, the next things that's going to come into play is, uh, pretty important as well. And, uh, I'm going to take a couple swags off this coffee that was hot. That is kind of not hot anymore, which by the way, um, kudos to death wish coffee. Um, death wish coffee is a, the world's strongest coffee. It's really great stuff. And, um, they actually are right down the road from our facility, which is fantastic because I love coffee and I love supporting local businesses. And I was actually just in Boston, Massachusetts um, for St. Patty's Day, and the homies from Death Wish Coffee were out there too at a um, at the um, Dropkick Murphys show in, in Boston at the House of Booze, which was really cool. And um, we kind of – we went out after, but I didn't get to see them, but I, I got to see a bunch of people and some Death Wish Coffee stuff, which was cool. So anyway, so shout out to Death Wish Coffee for always supplying us with uh, – with the goods, um, we really appreciate that. Um, makes our job a lot easier when we have a lot of caffeine. So that's the next biggest step, guys. Stay caffeinated. And then the podcast is over. No, I'm kidding. But it's really, it is really important to make sure that your, your mind, body, and soul are 
if, if coffee's not your thing, just make sure that you have some sort of energy booster out there to, to help you keep on keeping on. So that kind of moves me to my next thing is um, never give up hope. Um, and I think that this goes for really any avenue. It doesn't matter if you want to be a, oh, geez, anything. If you want to be a famous pen writer, <laughs> I mean, literally anything out there, um, you are going to get shit. You're going to get um, kicked down. You're going to get people to tell you, nope, don't do it. I My biggest struggles in life taught me the most important things in life. And... Uh, you know, I've I've lost what really kicked – if you haven't listened to episode number one of kind of like who I am and what I've done, my dog dying on my lap that I worked really hard to get, that that um, I changed my whole life to accommodate, really kind of kicked me into gear of, okay, well, that was the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. How am I going to – how is this possibly going to make um, my life better? Or, how, you know, why do things happen? I mean, I was like – and 20 at the time and my puppy died on my lap and that was really tough but I learned a lot from it and that was like one of the hardest things I mean just imagine I mean it sucked but um anyway I believe that things happen for a reason um whether you believe in God or whatever conspiracy out there that you think is, and I don't mean God's a conspiracy, but there's a lot of people who you know just don't believe in these types of things. But if you do, uh, it doesn't matter. But I think that everything on this universe happens for a reason. I can actually give you a really great example. Um, Taylor, can you grab that, that um, bottom left article that's hanging up there uh, behind the coffee? Um, so... I can show you and read you off something that's actually pretty cool. Um, I have a ton of newspaper articles all over my front room of my facility. And actually, this is a great example of, um, you know, basically having, you know, really nothing as far as uh, building a business and um, not really having anything to show for it and kind of reaching your dreams and goals and um, things like that. And the dogs in the back in daycare are getting fed lunch, so they are being extremely loud. So I apologize for any of the barking that you're getting in the uh, in the audio. So I just have this article in front of me that uh, Taylor just gave me, and it's from February 10th, 2012. Uh, it's 2018 now, so it was a uh, you know it was back then. And um, it, I have a picture too of Thompson, my Saint Bernard, which is right next to me as well, with like a little company truck I used to have, and. Um, my name on the 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 um the shirt and everything and then like a really shitty jpeg logo on the shirt too but um one of the couple couple questions i'll read this off to you real quick um just to give some people some motivation out there is where do you work and then i said i have quite a few clients in saratoga and then malta and bolton landing and i pretty much said that i'll go anywhere and that's something that i was willing to do i was 23 at the time so i'm 29 now so um, and then at this time, I thought that I was way ahead of the game and I was doing really well, um, you know, within the industry. And this was this was this was a bit ago. And um, so I I've progressionally uh, each year, you know, tried to outdo the, the last. And then one of the other questions here is um, and then going back to where do you work? Uh, just so you know, that's like a t- 10 mile, maybe 15 mile radius. And now I have clients all over the world. Um, so that's really cool as progression. And then one of the other questions here is why did you start this kind of business? And I quote, I've liked dogs my whole life. I've always had a natural feel and understanding for them. Ultimately, I'd like to have my own facility to train dogs. 
And fast forward to right now, I'm doing exactly that. When they ask me what would my dream job be, I'm doing it currently. And I think that I'm, I'm always true to my message is I have a natural ability to work with dogs and it's my responsibility to um, master the craft and create um, a better life for dogs and their owners. And it's something I've been doing for an extremely long time um, naturally. And then um, I didn't know it was a business until, you know, somebody told me. And so here we are. So that's on that note of don't give up. Don't feel um, there are going to be days where you're going to go, this is not worth it. There are going to be days that it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be tough because you're going against the grain. You are. Um, there's a statistic out there. I don't know what it is. And maybe Taylor could look it up while she's over there about small businesses that fail and small businesses that don't fail. And it's, it's really low as far as businesses that, um, make it. And, um, you know, it's like one to 5% or something like that. But, um, you know, it's really crazy to, to know that, um, I've gone and I've done all of these things and I, and I still feel like I've, I haven't even started. And I think that that's just the, that's the potion that I, that I drank a long time ago when I started realizing that, um, nobody could tell me, you know, how successful I could be. And I don't measure success by money. I measure success about how many lives can I touch and how many, how many dogs I can help. That's how I measure things. Um, and I've said that many times before, as far as making money and, a lot of times I forget to charge people when they walk out. They have to remind me or I have somebody standing there to make sure I do. So um, anyway, so make sure that you're not discouraged by anything and know that it is going to be a very long road. If you want to do something huge and you want to do something impactful to thousands or potentially millions of people, you have to work for a very long time. And a lot of people just see that as the overnight success. And, um, you know, there's a couple different things. Like uh, if you guys out there know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, um, he's he's a guy who did a lot of different things with um, Facebook. And um, Jason just sent me the statistic on the small businesses, but it's eight out of 10 small businesses fail. So, um, you know, two out of 10 people will actually make it through. So um, it's not very good. So I want you to know that, that um, that's kind of my next couple things. So anyway, going back to Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk, somebody who invested into Snapchat, Uber and Facebook, and he owns VaynerMedia and he does a bunch of really great things um, with entrepreneurs and runs some businesses. And he's very motivative to a lot of people. And he was for me way back in the day. And he still is. I respect and love that man for the free shit he puts out. But um, his company actually reached out to me um, I think two years ago or no, a year ago, last year, it seems like forever ago, his company actually reached out to me and said that Gary wanted me to be on a show. And at that time I was like, holy crap. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is like the it guy for business and he wanted to meet, wanted me to be on a show. And, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth and did some phone call stuff and, um, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what happened to be honest, but, um, you know, I'm constantly trying to be innovative and creative in what I do. And there's going to be times where you feel like nobody knows about what you're doing and you're not helping anybody and the dogs you're working with aren't getting benefit. And there's going to be those days where that's true. It's true. It's 100% true. You know, I used to have days where I would only work one or two dogs a day because that's what my volume was. And, you know, statistically, that doesn't give me a very good options to be 100% successful. But there were days where I'm like, man, this dog probably didn't learn anything. 
Um, but now, because when I do come in to train, um, when I'm actually here training at my Upstate Canine Academy, um, you know, I'll train six to eight dogs straight. And I feel really good about the dogs that leave here. However, um, a lot of times the dogs that that do leave here, uh, the owners fail them. So that's a different story. But um, so moving forward um, with that is, you know, don't, again, I guess the highlight on that is, is uh, don't ever feel like it's not worth it if you actually feel like it is. And that's a good quote. But um, making sure that you know that if you know that what you're out there is doing is good and you know that when you're out there doing something that is is worthwhile and changing lives, never stop because there's going to be some point where that's actually going to matter and you're going to get a lot of recognition for that. And there's days where I get some really great phone calls and some really great emails from, you know, people I can't say. Um, but, you know, we've had a lot of TV things going on. We have a lot of uh, government things going on. And then there's days where the phone doesn't give me any good news. It's all bad. And um, just know that what you see on the outside of people, especially in marketing and things like that, that it's not always rainbows and butterflies. And there's days that, um, you know, that aren't great. And then there's also days that are great. But I think people getting into business need to know the realistic of, or the, the I guess the realization of things aren't going to be great. And things aren't going to be great for a very long time. You're not going to make a lot of money. You're going to have to work really hard. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to laugh at you. Um, you may get, I mean, I mean, imagine going against like town boards, like having to meet like, I don't know, 10 people on the board to convince them that your business needs to be in their town and they could literally just say, nope. And then you're done. And you know, that's scary. Um, let alone like, Oh, screw like actually having enough clients to pay, X amount of dollars a month to have a facility. How about even getting past the first round of will the town even acknowledge your presence as a human and let you even do business in their town? And then even if you do surpass that, you have to pay all of their fees and continue to pay all their fees. And you'll be lucky if you make a dollar after that. I mean, those are things that were huge for me starting off. So just know that things are going to be super hard and frustrating and it's going to seem like it's not going to be worth it. But like I said before, if you feel like you're, you're changing lives then never stop because that's that's a gift my friend and you never want to um, disregard that or um, turn that down because it's something that a lot of people don't get an opportunity to do so um, that's that's that next step of being realistic um, you know about about things it's not going to be easy but it may be worth it and for me everything that I've ever done and every you know hole that I've been under and every rock that I've had to crawl out of um, makes it all worth it for um, the experiences I get to do now with with dogs and people so um, that's that um, and just to give you an example of like somebody for me who is really influential 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 Yes, there we go. Um, sorry, I can't talk. Um, there's a, there's a, my, my friend and colleague um, out in San Jose, California, and his, his name is Mike Jones. He is the owner of Primal Canine. Um, he really jump-started my career with um, wanting to move forward with like, oh, this is real. This is something I can do. Um, again, where, where, I, where I'm from in upstate New York, there's not many – you know, if you go to LA or you go, you go to pretty much any big city, there's huge pet hotels and dog training centers because there's a mass amount of people and people make a lot of money off boarding and people make a lot of money off daycare. Um, this is a guy um, who really just 
worked his ass off and went through hell, it seems, to get to where he's at. Um, and I don't think he gets enough um, credit for what he does in the dog world. I think he's by far like one of the hardest working sons of guns you'll ever meet. Um, but he, anyway, he jump-started my career as far as influences of people out there maybe like, who is big influences on you when you started and things like that. Mike Jones was definitely by far one of the biggest influences and in, you know, kicking off my career. I remember... Before I signed my lease for my first facility um, two years ago, I flew out to, I don't know, I was in L.A. doing something, um, and then I flew out to San Jose to see him, and I was there for like 12 hours, and he really convinced me. I'm like, hey, man, I I really want to get my own facility, you know, but I don't do daycare, I don't do boarding, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just want to train. Like, I don't want to deal with all that other stuff right now. And he was like, yeah, me neither. And I didn't, you know, I don't do anything like that. Just do it. He's like, just, just do it. And right now he's got a, he's got a bigger facility than he did. And I think he does do more daycare and boarding and boarding trains and things like that. But anyway, uh, he basically just said, he just told me, just do it, man. Just what are you waiting for? And I remember calling, uh, Taylor, my manager. And, um, I was like, Hey, let's do it. And, uh, she was like, yeah, we should. And that was like the first facility and looking back how small it was and how inexpensive it was compared to, you know, where we're at now. Um, you know, it was a big move at the time. But anyway, so Mike Jones is one of those people who um, I would suggest checking out. He's like I said, he's in San Jose, California. Uh, he does everything from behavior modification to basic obedience to protection work. And um, he's just somebody who really, you know, I, I, I think I followed him on Instagram and I just sent him a message. I'm like, hey, man, I love what you do. Um, I'd love to be at a position where you're at someday. And, um, you know, he was really welcoming and, and helped me out. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want everybody to flood Mike with anything, but, um, you know, he's somebody to definitely check out at Primal Canine. Uh, he's, he's really motivation for me. Um, and he definitely was, you know, I think as you grow, um, your views change and your opinions change and your dreams change and your goals change. So, I mean, in the beginning he was my image of like, man, I really want to be, in a facility like this guy, um, and, and do the things that he's doing. And he was really confident in what he was doing and he still is. And, um, he's really great at what he does. So anyway, check him out. Mike Jones is really great, um, at what he does and he's super motivating. Um, so shout out to Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for, um, jumpstarting my career, whether you know you did or not. Um, I appreciate you letting letting me spend 12 hours with you and uh, helping me, you know, get my ass in gear. So thank you, Mike. Um, I'll ever be, I will forever be grateful for that. So anyway, check Mike out. Um, a couple other things moving forward guys is, um, that leads me to my next thing about, um, when you're shadowing and working with people like myself, like people who ask me like, Hey, I want to become a dog trainer. Can I come shadow you? I'm like, sure. But I don't have like a program. Like I, I do the thing with the ABC, the animal, animal behavioral college. But they set everything up. So they basically say, hey, here's this student. They want to come mentor you. Here's the dates. I'm like, sure, because I'm here anyway. Um, but other people, unfortunately, I'm sorry, guys, but they, you know, they're saying, hey, I want to come shadow you. I want to come mentor you. I'm like, all right, I'm here. Like, this is what I do. Like, I'm in the trenches every day. There's no gimmicks here. Like, if you want to come, come on over. I'll be here. Um, my big thing um, is just you know, stay out of my way and not in a sense of like, <laughs> um, you know, all hail me at all. It's just, um, 
you know, I'm working with some really sometimes aggressive dogs and, and I need to make sure everybody's safe. So when you're here, just sit down and be quiet and watch. Uh, and then later in the evening when we work the boarding trains and things like that, you can handle and watch. And so that's something that I do. Now, in the future, we are developing a – we're trying to get together a school um, to help because I already do the certification for ABC um, and we do so many shadowing programs um, with them. And then we also just do like random shadows where people come from we've, – we've had people from all over um, locally, New Jersey. Connecticut, um, people from different countries are coming too, so that's really exciting. Um, but I think it's important to make sure that when you do go shadow somebody, that you are sponge. I've had certain shadows, and I've had certain um, you know people just come in and try to train with me, and you know that's all rainbows and butterflies if you you know, are asked to do that, but it's definitely something that you have to understand that, you know, you're in somebody else's session and that person is paying that person a lot of money to give them information. So that's one thing I would suggest. And it seems like a no brainer for most of you. You're like, yeah, no shit. I would never go into somebody else's facility and try to overturn them. But, uh, it does happen. Um, you know, I've, I've seen it a couple of times here, but so don't do that. So when you do go shadow people and you want to learn from them, just sit down, be quiet, and listen, and then ask questions later. I think it's uberly important to ask questions because that's the only way you're going to get better, and that's the only way you're going to learn what the person's doing. Um, and the worst thing is is when people come shadow and they don't ask any questions because I'm like, okay, so you must have known all this information, so you shadow, you're, you're basically wasting your time when really they're just too nervous to say anything or something like that. So make sure you do ask questions at the appropriate time when you do shadow and um, you do mentor people because I think that that's the only way you're going to get better. Um, so those are kind of like some do's and don'ts of shadowing people. And then if anybody does want to come shadow me, um, here at the facility, just email us at canineeducator at gmail.com. Um, and you can basically just get my schedule and come in and pop a squad and learn, um, in the summer and the spring when it's nicer out or in the fall, there's places you can camp locally. Um, we've had a lot of people stay at the local hotels around here, but, but that gets kind of expensive. So, um, but that's something that you guys can do, uh, as well for the shadowing programs, but that's the extent of it. But anyway, Going back to what I was saying before, I do have a, a program that we are working on to make it more of a school where I come in and I train um, basically dog trainers. That's something I really am passionate about um, because um, that kind of leads me to my next thing is when you're working with dogs, the, the most success that I've had with the dogs that I work are the dogs that they go, their owners go home with information. And so this is kind of, it may be my wrapping point here, but this is really what I want people to focus on is when you're developing a certain skill set of working with dogs, you have to make sure that you're developing the owners and educating the owners and asking questions of the owners and making sure that everything is making sense in order for you to be successful at what you do. And I'm saying that because statistically, again, after the eight years, like if somebody said, hey, I have almost over eight years of experience, day in and day out, seven days a week of things that work and things that don't, and it's something that you want to get into, um, I would be very, very sponge-like to that. And I'm telling you that the, the most success we get from the dogs that we work are dogs that are going home with their owners packed full of information. So this style of training that I would focus on if I were you, considering the success rate with the dogs that I've worked this way, um, is to make sure that you're very educational. Now, I do get shit for people telling me, hey, 
you talk too much or, hey, just train the dog. Well, what the hell is the point of that, right? If you Again, we're, we're going to go back to the restaurant. If you came in to a school of, you know, learning to, to work with dogs and learning to um, – trying to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the restaurant, uh, learning how to work with, work with food. Um, and somebody was teaching and you're paying them to, Hey, teach me how to be a cook. Cause that's what basically happens. The, the meal comes in, it's all messed up. And I say, they say, Hey, you know, I have all the right ingredients, which means I have a brain and two hands and two feet and heartbeat. How do I help this dog get better? Which is kind of what I'm saying. And in order for that to happen, you need to be educated on how to be a proper cook or be a proper um, culinary person, if you will. And, and that means you have all the right ingredients. The dog stays the same. You just have to change the way that you're handling and you have to reteach things to the dog. And if you don't ask questions and you don't learn – um, and things of that matter, then things aren't going to get better. Sorry, my dogs was just my dog was just kind of going between. Stop, buddy. Um, going back to is if you want to learn from a good good chef or a chef that you appreciate or want to learn from or respect or agree with, and you go there and you say, hey, I have all the ingredients to do better. This is what I want to do. I want to make this meal. How do I do it? And I and the chef does it every time, or myself does it every time. It's never you're never going to walk out that door knowing how to make that meal and you're never going to walk out that door knowing how to do those things. And I think it's important for when people come in and like I said, I get crap all the time for people going, stop talking, just do. I'm like, yeah, but I can always do. I can always make that meal. It's what I do. But it's important that if you want to learn and you want to get better and you want to go home and make this meal for your friends and family and be a better chef and be a better culinary person, you need to learn how to make the meal. And I think that that's, that's so important. So that's like the new age, I, the newer age, non-traditional thing that I've been doing with more success is when you come in, it's not so much, especially with behavior modification, it's not so much about here's the dog, fix it, chef. It's more about, hey, here's the ingredients. Can you teach me how you've done this before? Or can you teach me how to put your spin on it? Or can you help me make this? I've seen you do it a hundred times. The the dish always comes out nice. How do I do it? That's more important to me, I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, out there peeps. Um, But that's more important to me, I think, than, than anything else. So make sure that you are learning how to do these things. I've had certain trainers come in that will, um, understand the concepts and agree with everything that I do and understand how I got to that point, but they don't know how to say it themselves. And I think that that's what separates, um, the men from the boys, if you will, or the good from the mediocre or the great from the mediocre or the natural from the mediocre is, uh, traditionally styled trained people like the culinary student will never do as good as the person who's in the trenches learning each day, different styles, training all over the time um, or all over the place all the time. Um, so just make sure that you, you're, you're making sure that you, when you teach people things or you teach your clients or you, you, you're understanding things that you can actually um, recite them every single time, every other hour for somebody else and make sense of it and be passionate about it. I think that that's something that I've got compliments on 
from multiple different platforms of how passionate I am. And it's because it's true. I love doing this. It's something that I agree with and it's something that like really gets me excited. So those are some really key component things that I would say um, are super important when you want to become a dog trainer or you want to start your own business and you can kind of recap on them yourself and go through them. Um, But it really comes down to working really hard, um, understanding that what you're doing can, can be manipulated by many different people so you have to be very very confident in what you do and making sure that what you're doing makes sense to you so those are you know a couple different things um going through the podcast that we just that we just did to make sure that you're you're on the right page and i hope this helps um the people out there that are struggling or want to get better and um we're going to record another podcast later probably this week we're going to have some guests on the show um, download this episode and subscribe to the channel. Um, uh, check out my YouTube if you have more questions about behavior modifications and things like that at americascanoneducator.ed. Um, and now we're going to answer a couple different questions that we have on my, my recent post on Instagram, at Thomas J. Davis on Instagram. Uh, and I'm going to answer a couple different questions. So Jason's going to read them off to me and then I'll re re rephrase them, I guess, um, to you guys out there and, uh, I will answer them the best I can. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a good question. So we have a couple of different people, um, asking what are some good trust building activities for a human slash dog reactive dog that is protective of me to help him understand that I protect him and not the other way around. And then a couple questions kind of, um, revolve with that question as well. And so it's a good question. And again, like when people come in with issues, I talk 45 minutes at the time and then I handle the rest of the 15 minutes. And then before they leave, I have them do it too. Um, because I, I only have a little bit of time to work with them. So this is a question that is, is hard to answer, um, with the time that I have, but the, I guess the bottom line is if your dog is reactive to both people and dogs, probably on the leash, it sounds like, um, you need to reverse your relationship. And that's something that every single reactive dog that has come into this facility, not aggressive, uh, reactive, uh, has an issue with. They have an issue with trust. They have an issue with who's in charge. Um, a lot of times, picture yourself right now handling your dog. Um, literally, like pic- picture yourself grabbing the leash. If you have a reactive dog, picture yourself grabbing the leash, walking forward. If you're looking straight down at your dog and you're holding your leash up waiting for a mistake, chances are you're not going to be successful because who's driving? You're basically letting the dog in the driver's seat. So I think you need to readjust your whole relationship on the leash to make sure that you, and it's not about who's in charge. It's more about who makes the most sense, who, who's the most wise, if you will. I, I try to put into perspective when people talk about alpha, quote unquote alpha or um, dominance or whatever. It, it Usually in a pack of dogs, the alpha, quote unquote alpha, the person in charge, is not the most, it's not the strongest biggest, baddest animal. Um, and that's like with your pack at home, it's not about like what dog is the biggest, baddest or how strong you are, how much muscle you can, you can build. It's about the wisest who can make the clearest decision 
effectively and efficiently. And so if you're out on your walk and you're losing your mind and your dog's losing your mind, there's a really big disconnect with your relationship of who's in charge. So no screaming, yelling, shouting, overcorrecting, kicking, whatever you may do to your dog. It's really about who's in charge and who, who, is, who is taking the most initiative to make the most sense. So if somebody were to, this is what I call the, and this, this, this is pertainable, I promise. This is what I call the, um, the uh, stewardess or the airplane effect, which means I fly a lot, um, especially in the summer for, for work, for training and things of that sort. And I always tell people that the stewardess on the plane are always indicators to me of if everything's okay or not, which means they've done this a hundred times. They're confident in what they do. Um, and that makes me look at them when I think something's wrong. And so what that means is, is when I get on a plane and we drop altitude or we get turbulence, I always will look at the stewardess to see if they're okay. And if they're okay, then I'm okay. But if they start losing their minds and running around the airplane like crazy people, then I start losing my mind because they are supposed to be in charge because they're the people who've done this a hundred times and I haven't. And I feel very confident that they will tell me or they will indicate to me rather body language or whatever. There's always different languages that, that humans speak, not just verbal, but but um, that pertains to an insecure dog at the end of the leash. If you're walking and you're supposed to be in charge and you indicate to the dog through leash pressure, your tone of your voice, you're shaky, you're nervous, when another dog presents itself, they will take charge. That's what they do. It's like a manager when shit hits the fan. When something, If somebody drives through the building that you're working at, your manager should hopefully um, be in charge. You, know, you don't expect your employees to run around with their heads cut off, um, but they probably will. So just making sure that when you're in a situation where your dog's reactive, it's because of your relationship. It's not because your dog's reactive and doesn't like other dogs. So that's kind of how I would answer that. So we'll move on to maybe a couple more. Sure. Ah, yes. Good question. And and, and also too, I want to rephrase on the uh, the dog trust building activities because I really didn't answer that. Um, I kind of did, but um, the the the. I guess some of the things that you can do for trust building activities are building a better relationship with your dog in the leash first before you go out and work with your dog. So doing things like place, doing things like stay, doing things like heal, and then telling them that they've done good. It's kind of the boogeyman under the bed type thing where they're, where they feel like they have to be a certain way or they can't get up on a, on a, on a, on a, on a place command because they're afraid of it and then removing the sheet and say, look, there's no boogeyman under your bed, which means the place command isn't going to eat you. It's fine. Go into it. Um, so building, um, building confidence in the dog through, through different, um, things like place, like I said, place command and associations that they normally wouldn't do. So maybe, uh, you know, we have mannequins and stuff in here or tossing around some bottles to get them comfortable, but basically confidence building stuffs for, for low level, um, I guess insecure dogs is basically getting them to do something new. That's what I would do. And then again, going back to the the newest question of working with a deaf dog, um, it's very hard. Your leash pressure with a deaf dog has to be really, really great, um, which means you have to have full capacity to communicate to your dog through leash pressure and body pressure um, because obviously the, the verbal pressure to dogs is usually everyone's right-hand man, if you will, which means you tell a dog to sit, you tell a dog, uh-uh, you tell a dog no, you tell a dog down, heel, whatever it may be, and that's what they should do, and then everything else kind of comes into play with leash and then body and then all these other pressure-oriented things, um, but you can't do that with, the, with this dog because he's deaf, he or she's deaf. 
Um, so I would just make sure that your leash pressure is really good. Um, so making sure the dog is super good on the leash, which means when you turn, they turn, when you stop, they sit using a lot of food motivation, or I shouldn't say food, a lot of motivation in general. Um, that's what I've done in the past with teaching deaf dogs how to do things is I use a lot of, um, motivation to get them to do something. So if, if I do hand commands, which is kind of, um, usually, well, not kind of, but it is for me, um, really recommended with, with deaf dogs because you can't tell them to do something through verbal cues. You would just use your body. So you lean into them, they sit. You throw your hand up, they sit. You you lure them into down. So using a lot of motivation to get them to do things um, is, is really important through hand commands because they can't hear, hear your verbal cues or your cues for the behavior you want them to do. So I would recommend, you know, again, without getting too much into it, um, using verbal thing, I'm sorry, uh, not verbal, obviously, but using hand commands to get them to do things because you can't do verbal cues with them um, and using a lot of motivation, whether it's tug or food or just a pat on the head or the belly um, to get them to do things uh, and then making sure also that your leash pressure is really good as well and then influencing uh, motivation through, again, food or whatever you're using uh, with your leash pressure too, which means if they heal for a good amount of time, you give them a tug or you give them food. But making sure that your communication on the leash is really important because it's a safety thing for your dog, Um, which means I I wouldn't suggest doing a ton of um, off-leash work with your dog when they're deaf because they can't hear certain things that a normal dog would. Like if a car comes down the road or something like that, they would run. Or, you know, if if another dog is growling at them, they wouldn't be able to really pick up that. Um, So just making sure that your your dog is really in tune with you on all levels is really important and i would suggest using a lot of motivation for that Okay, so fearful specific things. One of them is the storms, and then the other thing is the the car. Like, does it say like moving in the car, or does it say just afraid of the car? Okay, the dog has seizures of getting in the car, so that's obviously really really bad and traumatic. So, um, it, okay, so without you know again knowing much about it, I would say that if your dog is only here's what I would do is if your dog is, uh, first of all, I would use somebody else's car that the dog can easily get into. Like if you if you have a Jeep with like that's jacked up that your dog really can't get into anyway, and even if they wanted to get in the car, it's still kind of hard for them and stressful. Um, I would use somebody else's car that they can just walk into. So a, so a lot of times cars can be association or triggers for certain things like going to the vet or like going to a place that they don't like to go to or something like that. So just making sure that you kind of switch up the variable of a car of like, okay, we're not going to get in this car, but we're going to get in this low van that can easily hop in. Um, and then breaking down the pattern of not moving, just literally getting the dog into the the car and then giving them some sort of motivation. I use a lot of verbal stuff because I don't want I mean, if the dog is motivated by food, that's great. But uh, typically, if a dog is so stressed that they have seizures, they're probably not going to take food once they're in the car in the first couple times. So getting the dog in the car, praising them verbally, and then hopping them right out, and then maybe going doing something that they really like. For an example, my dog loves fetch. So if she was afraid of getting in the car, I would I would kind of help her get into the car, reward her verbally, and then whip a ball in the other direction to get her to understand that getting into the car gives her some sort of... Um, 
some sort of incentive or some sort of uh, reward or payment or currency after that. So uh, we definitely don't want the dog to have seizures. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt that, you know, this isn't exactly what you should do, but these are some things. Cause like, again, like it's really hard to give information over a freaking podcast about a dog that has seizures. But, um, you know, what I would do is try to associate a different vehicle with, with good things, but not putting the dog in the car, driving, going to the vet, things like that. I would make sure the dog literally gets into the car with two paws and then giving it a break and then maybe trying again a little bit later and just really incrementally making that better um, because for whatever reason, the dog really doesn't like the car. So getting a different car, increments, reward, patience is what I would say on that. And then as far as the storms go, um, storms for animals in general, let alone dogs, are a natural um, type of thing, which means, um, and to make it really easy for you to understand for, for you who asked this question or anybody else that's having issues with storms is, again, I can't change the personality of a dog too much. And I can't change their, like, if I, if, if somebody hated olives or pickles, I couldn't make them like olives or pickles, no matter how much I dressed them up or made them look. Even if I stuffed them in cupcakes with just like a little bit, um, they're still going to go, oh, it still tastes like that, right? So usually that's how um, animals react to, there's different pressures that come with storms that make them bunker down for, for that's their natural primal instincts of a storm's coming, I'm going to go somewhere. Like some dogs will get under beds, some dogs will get into bathtubs, some dogs will get really nervous and shake, some dogs will get really nervous and drool, um, things like that. And there's not much you can do to make that better. However, um, there are some tips that I would suggest to help them cope with these types of things because they're going to feel the pressure of the environment anyway. And so that means even if you don't know there's a storm coming, the animals will know there's a storm coming. Um, nature always takes care of nature. And that's something I learned a long time ago in Boy Scouts, that nature always takes care of nature, which means if it's going to be a really cold winter, there's going to be extra berries and things like that for the animals. Um, and they take care of each other. It's weird, but that's just how it works. So uh, naturally, uh, when a big storm front comes in, especially with lightning and thunder, the dog will feel the pressure before we will, or we won't notice the pressure, obviously, because dogs are a little bit more uh, keen to their environment. Um, for safety purposes and primal instinct purposes. And so I would suggest, you know, turning off. I mean, it really depends. There's there's the thunder shirt out there that you can do, which basically puts about a lot of pressure on the pressure points of dogs and helps them be a little bit more comfortable, like like a baby that's swaddled. Um, it just helps them. Like cats, if you if you wrap them in something, they get more comfortable. Same thing with dogs. They, they make a thunder shirt that you can get probably anywhere that sells dog stuff. That's recommended. Um, if it's a thunderstorm or things like that, um, you can turn on, I always turn on music or TV, like if I know I'm going to be somewhere, or even like fireworks, environmental stressors like fireworks, I will turn on the, um, like the radio really high and, you know, something like that to, to help them feel a little bit more comfortable during that time because there's nothing I can do to change it. Same thing with the, when a thunderstorm rolls in, I can't do much. I've also given uh, some of my smaller dogs that I've worked with um, that have been really, really bad when they've boarded with us, um, some Benadryl to help them be a little bit sleepy, if you will. Um, things like that can really help. But just understand that there's nothing you can do to make the dog like the storm that's coming. However, there are some things that you can help basically cover up the storm that's there to help them a little bit more comfortable. So not leaving them um, home alone, but also not coddling them when the storm does come. So don't sit there and pet the dog and go, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, because it might freak them out more. I would simply just turn on the radio, cook some food, um, you know, maybe give them their favorite bone. I've, I've even done frozen, frozen Kong with peanut butter when a storm comes rolling in. Um, if it's going to be like a 
summer, you know, long storm where it's thundering for an hour, um, things like that. So there are some things to help, but I think the most important thing is, is no, you can't just make a dog like a storm if they don't like it because it's a natural thing for them. They really don't like it because it scares them. They don't really know what to do. Um, and if they want to go find comfort in a tub or under the bed, let them because it's what's going to be the best for them. Or if they want to go in their crate, that's also suggested. Um, I think I have one, too, that I saw from Chelsea, um, which I'm going to answer, actually, because if you're listening to the podcast, you already know the answer of how to get to here. Yeah, uh, how do I get to the podcast? Well, you're on it, so... Um um, yeah, but I would say that that's good for today. Um, thank you guys so very much for, um, tuning in and, and, and listening to me. We're going to do another one this week that'll come out probably this weekend. Um, but we're going to pop this one up and, um, we're going to be a little bit more consistent and thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and then check with my Instagram about, uh, you know, the, the certain days that we're going to be filming cause we're going to do Q and a like this at the end. And then also all of our other podcasts, except for this one, we did filming, which you can go back on my YouTube channel to check out at, uh, YouTube slash America's canine ed. And, uh, you can check out the video form of all the podcasts that we've done as well. Um, so thank you guys so much for your valuable time. Please, please subscribe, download, do everything you can to share this with your, your peeps. Um, the more people that we get involved with this, the more help that we can provide to the dog. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you later. Peace. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.